five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. This episode is brought to you in part by Penguin Random House Canada. From the record-breaking astronaut and author of Endurance, Commander Scott Kelly, comes a new book. Infinite Wonder is a breathtaking collection of photos documenting Kelly's journey on the International Space Station, the vastness of space, and the unparalleled beauty of our own home planet. It includes snapshots of the astronaut's life and work on the International Space Station, from spacewalks to selfies, hurricanes, wrinkled mountains, New York City shining like a galaxy. It's on sale now. And this episode is also brought to you by the Don't Let Go Canada Coalition. For 60 years, Canada has been a space leader. We helped build the International Space Station and land astronauts on the moon. Back on Earth, we leverage our space capabilities every day to push boundaries in medicine, communications, and environmental monitoring. The clear vision and commitment of previous governments helped drive this forward, but now our country faces a decision point and we need to act. Please visit don'tletgocanada.ca and join the campaign to help us keep innovation, jobs, and our best and brightest in Canada. The universe needs more Canada. Don't let go, Canada. My special guest this week is William Mac Evans. Mac, as most people refer to him, is a 30-year-plus veteran of the Canadian Space Program, and in 2016 became a member of the Order of Canada. He helped create the Canadian Space Agency, negotiated Canada's participation in the International Space Station, and was the longest-serving president of the Canadian Space Agency. Today, we'll be talking about some of the history of Canada's space program to better understand how we got to where we are today. We'll also discuss space strategy and planning, and what direction Mac thinks the program should take. Before I welcome Mac, I want to thank you, our listeners. Our audience is continuing to grow and the feedback we're getting is great. I also want to thank those of you who support us by becoming a patron through Patreon. Your monthly contribution is greatly appreciated. However, it's only a small portion of you that support us through Patreon. The vast majority of our listeners and readers don't. I would humbly say that if you like our podcast and daily news coverage on our website, that you consider becoming a patron. It's only through the support of listeners like you that SpaceQ can afford to hire freelance journalists and others we work with. We want these freelance journalists to become regular contributors. Our Patreon address is patreon.com slash spaceq. That's the word space with the letter Q. You can support us starting at $2 a month. That's all it takes. Okay. Let's get to today's show. Welcome, Mac, to the Space Q Podcast. Glad to be with you, Mark. It's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast today. You've had an incredible career that includes working in Canada's space program for 30 years. You've worked in government in various capacities, including to help create the Canadian Space Agency, for which you served as its longest president. You also played an instrumental role in negotiating with the United States Canada's participation in the International Space Station. You also served as the Chief of Staff uh, to the Minister of National Defense in 2004. Importantly, you've co-authored several of Canada's early strategy and long-term space plans. Although you're retired now, you're still active in the space program as a board member for Exact Earth and EarthCast. Before I get into a discussion on Canada's space strategy and long-term space planning, I have to ask you two questions about the creation of the Canadian Space Agency. It's my understanding the the agency was meant to be somewhat like NASA and a standalone agency. That didn't happen. It became a part of the government's industry department. Looking back on it now, was that a mistake? Well, uh, I think we have to be very clear what actually did happen. Uh, The 
The idea behind getting a Canadian Space Agency formed uh, sort of took shape in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, with a push from um, the Air Industries Association of Canada and from the um, Science Council of Canada, which existed then but doesn't exist now. And they were really both saying, look, if Canada is uh, thinking of playing a major role in space, we had just decided to do the... Um, we're getting ready to have the Canada Arm launched. Uh, so these, they, we, we were having some major program issues in front of us. If Canada is really going to play a major role in space, it needed to organize itself because up until this point in time, each government department had its own space program, if you will. They had Energy Mines and Resources, which was pursuing Earth observation. The Department of Communications, which existed then, doesn't exist now, was uh, looking after communications. And you had the NRC doing the um, the Canada Arm and the uh, the, the yet-to-come uh, astronaut program. So these things were coordinated by a group called the Interdepartmental Committee on Space, which had been set up by the governments in the 60s <clears throat> to sort of do some coordination, but it had no decision-making power, and um, each individual department uh, pursued its own interests. And so the Air Industries Association representing the space industries in Canada and the Science Council just sort of representing good good space, uh, good science governance had been pressuring the government to, to form a space agency. Um, which uh, the first step the government took was in in, uh, in 1980, where they transferred the responsibility for this entity, Departmental Communication Space, from the Department of Communications into what was considered to be a neutral corner at the time, the Ministry of State for Science and Technology. So now we see the beginnings of a a um, central uh, body for space, and then. The Prime Minister did ask the Minister of State for Science and Technology to bring forward a proposal for the creation of a Canadian Space Agency. And the idea behind this, and which was eventually um, approved, um, the idea behind this was to be a single point of contact for the science community, the industry, and the international community uh, dealing with, with issues of space so that there would be one place where they could go and that the government had one place where it went in terms of uh, um, of coordinating and understanding exactly what it is that we were to do in space. So that's the, the, the genesis of it. The actual act that created the Canadian Space Agency has the president of the Canadian Space Agency reporting directly to the Minister of Industry, not to the Department of Industry. Um, and so that worked that way until the mid um, to late 90s or um, when the government started to introduce something called the portfolio. So there was an industry portfolio created by all the various organizations at that time. There were some 13 organizations reported to the Minister of Industry, including the granting councils, including Space Agency, including NRC. And we were all brought together in the sort of industry portfolio as a means of coordinating those activities. And the head of that was the Deputy Minister of Industry. And so that was the beginning of a process where um, each of these individual departments did not have uh, the direct access to the minister that existed before this. And so that's the current situation. And um, it means that uh, all the activities of these various departments that report to the Minister of Industry are coordinated by the uh, Deputy Minister of Industry. Okay. Uh, so the intent of the legislation was for the agency to be a standalone agency reporting to the Minister of Industry. All right. Now, uh, in reading some of the old documents uh, related to the creation of the Canadian Space Agency, there was an idea that... Uh, Originally, that it, it could be located in Ottawa, but wound up being located uh, just south of Montreal in Saint Hubert. Uh, a lot of space agencies, national space agencies' headquarters, are located within or close to their nation's capital. Should uh, the headquarters of the Canadian Space Agency been located in Ottawa or or across the river in Gatineau? Um, from my experience uh, of dealing with. Um 
governments uh, getting uh, policy approvals or funding approvals uh, through the government system. Um, being in Ottawa was uh, an important aspect of 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 that process because you have to go to meetings, you have to be establish your relationships with other government departments, with uh, the central agencies, with other ministers and their staff. And so that's quite a, uh, a, um, a, f- a full-time job. The way the agency uh, worked this out was that there would be a liaison office in Ottawa um, while the agency itself, the technical part of the agency, was uh, placed in, in saint Hubert. So uh, basically we had two functions. One was the technical program management function in, in St. Hubert and the, the policy group, uh, and not policy, but the, uh, the relationship, the, the uh, liaison with the rest of the government happening in, in Ottawa. So when I was president, um, I guess I would spend half of my time in St. Hubert and the other half in Ottawa. So, all right. Uh, I suppose we'll we'll move on from the history part of it into um, uh, the discussion uh, on space strategy and and long term spla- uh, long term space planning. Two years ago, the government promised uh, a space strategy by June of 2017. Uh, that strategy still hasn't been released. Based on your long experience working within government, my first question then is. Why do you think the government hasn't fulfilled its promise to unveil a new strategy? Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, I do know that the Minister of Industry, Mr. Uh, Mr. Baines, the Minister Baines, is very committed to the space program, so he's a, a space um, supporter, no doubt about it. Um, so he, I'm, I'm convinced that he and his staff are fully behind doing this. It is a, um, a fairly expensive program as things go, um, and so it does take um, the sort of consensus of, of the government, uh, Minister of Finance, uh, Treasury Board, and the rest of the central agencies of the government to agree um, that this is a priority for the government as a whole. <clears throat> I have in my experience, um, um, seen times when governments are less interested in the space activities and times when they are very interested in the space activities. And I think it depends on on events outside of the space realm that uh, determine where the government is at any particular given moment in time. And it's the other issues they have to deal with. The space is just one of them. Um, uh, in my experience, uh, all governments uh, have, um, over the 30, 40 years I've been involved with them, one way or another uh, been able to, to uh, come through with these strategies. Uh, these strategies or plans, I don't know what you want to call them, generally come with funding and program approvals. And so it's a complicated process to, to get all of that in front of the government in a way that that, uh, that makes sense to them. So what is going on um, has been going on since the minister made that, um, that statement is the space community, that's the industry people and the university community and other government departments have been working hard to bring forward the... Uh, elements of what the strategy would be we from the space am on the space advisory board so the space advisory board first task given to us by the minister of industry was to go and uh, seek out the views of uh, stakeholders across canada in terms of what uh, they felt were the needs and rationales for uh, new investments and new strategy in space and so we made our report about a year and a half ago to the minister indicating what we had heard and identifying some five or six specific priorities that uh, we felt the government should address and that that report's public it's on on the SAB's uh, website so that's that's the sort of thing that has to happen and have to generate the 
the support of all the stakeholders. You have to generate uh, support of Canadians. Um, so that process is just taking longer, I think, than than uh, was originally anticipated. But I don't sense any lack of commitment on the part of the minister to to persuade to to pursue getting a new strategy uh, in place. Yeah, I think uh, everyone agrees that the minister has been very vocal in uh, in his support. Um, it's just, uh, and I suppose the government's in a difficult position because, um, you know, the space community has been waiting a long time for government direction. It, it precedes this government into the previous government. And so I think there's a, um, which I'm sure you heard, a lot of frustration on the part of uh, part of the community uh, that uh, you know there's no perceived action uh, uh, at this stage. Yeah, there's no doubt that what we heard, um, we heard all of that in our cross-country roundtables from the SAB, and um, and we tried to encapsulate what we heard. Uh, and one of the principles that we had in our in our report was the need for urgent action. And this is not new. This is, goes back uh, to you go way back to the Emerson report on uh, this aerospace um, situation in Canada, both the on the aeronautic side and on the space side. He issued separate reports for each of those, and in that report, it made it very clear that Canada um, had been neglecting its uh, space community, and and given the importance of space to meeting national needs, I mean, the technologies that space and the applications of space technology to a whole host of major issues, climate change, um, security, um, sovereignty, uh, pollution, all these, all these uh, operations in the north, these are, these are all key areas of, of interest where there are, there are major issues to be dealt with and space can be part of that solution and so given the importance of space the emerson report really made it clear that the government had to get its uh, had to really deal with space and and give it the priority that they felt it it, it needed now last week the minister said that uh, we should uh, expect something uh, before the end of uh, the liberals mandate uh, which is next fall of 2019 from uh, the perspective of the space community when we talk about a space strategy when it is released what do you think the community should expect what are what are the real world expectations that they should have um, that's a good question too. I think, in my own view, um, and, I, and I'll go back to you know we all know that the, uh, the minister of NASA was up in Canada a week ago and was meeting with senior government officials and was bringing the message that the international community uh, wanted Canada to be part of the new. What's so-called lunar gateway program? Uh, consist, think of it very basically as a space station around the moon, where it would it would um, uh, encourage and enhance the ability of people to, to do work on the moon. Um, so they were up uh, making the pitch that uh, Canada was needed and wanted the, uh, as a partner in this, as an extension of the agreements that we have in, in space on the space station. My, my view is that Canadians um, themselves are very, um, and I think the various polls that have been taken would, would uh, verify this, Canadians themselves are very um, interested and, and supportive and proud of our accomplishments on the space station, the robotics arm, and our astronaut flight. So these are two things that they know quite a bit about. And supports quite strongly, and so I would be. Uh, I think the we should expect something on the gateway in in whatever the minister uh, brings forward before the end of their of their mandate, as he as he said last week. So I would imagine that's going to be part of it. Um, the the um, 
there is a strong community of, of people in government and in industry and in the science community who who do know and, and appreciate and understand how space technology could contribute to the you know basic operations of this country and offshore um, dealing with those issues that I mentioned earlier pollution environment um, time change sovereignty security all those things that uh, I think Canadians also take very seriously and so I would hope that there will be something in the strategy that would address these other applications of space technology as well as as the gateway so that's what I would, I would hope that the, the, the what comes out of uh, the minister's deliberations I think given the just the very state of where we're at um, that, that that's not necessarily a huge dollar um, necessary to do that in the next two or three years um, because the science program has basically for example has basically uh, been abandoned for the last 10 years or so and so we would need to start to build that up and the, and the university community is very interested in that happening the um, so-called new space um, uh, environment which is uh, fast is growing very fast and that's this this area where commercial companies raise money uh, uh, on the marketplace to produce services that they hope the government will buy so it takes the government to change its approach from being the owner and operator of space systems to being a purchaser of space services from these uh, commercial companies and so there's a there's a hope amongst the community that uh, regulation and policies uh, dealing with government procurement of space activities will be addressed as well so that there's encouragement to the government various government departments to uh, pursue this new space environment in terms of meeting their their needs. So I would hope that there's something in that that realm, and that that brings to to bear various regulatory issues. Um, then we have this Remote Space Systems uh, Act, which um, hasn't been altered in, in since it basically was was done 20 years ago, and and it needs to be updated to reflect the current circumstances if if uh, if I had my own druthers the thing that I would dream about is uh, something along the lines of uh, President Trump's space directive number two which directed a whole host of of government departments in the United States to take action to increase and support the commercial utilization of space and that's this new space environment that I'm talking about and so if Canada were to take uh, a similar approach to its space activities I think um, we would find that um, the, the the industry would, would, would benefit dramatically from that our space science community would benefit dramatically from that and it's not necessarily a huge uh, cost to the government to do it that way. It, it spreads the cost over many, many years if, if you're buying a service as opposed to having to come up with the capital costs at the beginning of the program. So I would caution, just to answer your question more specifically, I would caution people to, um, I think more realistically, we're, we're, we're likely to see um, some sort of commitment uh, on the gateway. We're likely, hopefully, to see uh, the beginnings of a, of a of a revitalized space science program and a a uh, set of rules and regulations that will eventually take place that would encourage government to pursue the commercial utilization of space. I think the community, for the most part, would be happy with that. Um, I know that there are some out there that are looking for ongoing funding for you know either flagship missions, smaller missions. But uh, but I think they would be happy with uh, with something like that as a start, as a recognition of, you know, we need to do this planning process. It needs to be incremental and it needs to address uh, a longer period of time. Um, many of the early space plans from the 80s and 90s were, were quite detailed. Um, 
What was the dynamic back then between government and stakeholders, and is it different today? It is different today because of the existence of the space agency, I would argue. Prior to the formation of the space agency, um, each stakeholder group out there would have a particular government department that they work closely with. So if you were in the remote sensing business, you would be working very closely with Energy Mines Resources. And in fact, the whole concept of a radar satellite came out of Energy Mines Resources as a result of all of their direct relationships with provincial governments and uh, and companies who saw the benefits of using space technology to meet whatever needs they had. And similarly with NRC, with the space science community, they had their relationships with the universities and, and on and on and on. The Canadian Space Agency came along and the government, uh, the idea behind the space agency was to coordinate and, and bring all of these space activities under one hat, the Canadian Space Agency. And so now the agency has to deal with the university community, the industry community, and all the other government departments. And so that dynamic has changed with the introduction of the of the space agency. Going back in all, if you look through, and you've had a very extensive um, expose of the various space planning documents over the past 20, 30 years uh, recently. If you if you look at those, <clears throat> you're quite right. Um, each of them, by the way, um, had the following elements. They had a strategy element, they had a policy element, and they had program elements. So each of them dealt with those three things, identifying what the program was trying to do, how it was going to go about it, and here were the specific projects to implement the plan. So it was a each of them contained those elements in, in sometimes more strategy and less program and other times more program and less strategy, but they were all there. Uh, and they, they resulted in the prior to the Canadian Space Agency era in, um, in new programs being funded. And that was the whole, the whole idea was to, was this was, this was the becoming the mechanism for various government departments to get money for space was through these uh, space plans that were issued by the Ministry of State for Science and Technology. So it became very, it became the the mechanism for these organizations to get money for space activities. Now you move into the era of the space agency, and now the space agency uh, is expected to to be um, a source of, um, of funding for the new 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 activities. Unfortunately, the the uh, financial support for the space agency has has dwindled over the years, and that was the point that the Emerson report brought forward quite strongly. Uh, I, I don't know the exact numbers now, but if you were to take a look at the buying power of the Canadian space program, space agency now, compared to what it was in 1999, which was the, when the era of Space Plan 3 came out, um, it's about half of what uh, so the space agency now can do about half of what it could could do in 1999 and so that has implications and that's the the uh, part of the problem and so I would I think what what the all the stakeholders in the space program are hoping and this includes government departments as well as state and industry and universities are hoping that a space strategy would eventually bring, uh, if not immediately, but certainly set the direction towards approving uh, specific projects that would bring the benefits of space technology to Canadians. Now, depending on what you categorize as a long-term space plan, the last one would have been released in 94 with an update in 1999. Then came the 2003 Canadian Space Strategy. It was a different model for planning. Was the 2003 strategy the right path forward? Um, you're dealing. You're talking to a guy who who uh, did all of the the um, space planning leading up to the '99 one. Um, I I happen to believe that. Um, if we had a good, solid st 
strategy. In other words, a document that said, here is what Canada is trying to achieve in space and, and why, and this is how we intend to go about it. That would sort of set the the vision of the government in the use of space. And, and, and in my terms, that vision would include, um, you know, Canadian participation in, in major international space exploration initiatives, like just like we did with Space Station and hopefully we'll do with the Gateway. It would involve uh, what I call the regeneration of the space science program so that our universities have projects and programs to work on to, to support the creation of highly qualified people who can, can uh, work in the space program. And it would have um, the uh, ability to assist industry in demonstrating and using uh, space technology to meet national needs. And, and that that sounds like a huge thing. It doesn't necessarily have to use a huge if you go into the new space approach to life where you go from government buying equipment to government buying services. Um, so I, I just, I, I think, uh, um, I'm not, conf I'm not worried about the terminology. I just think that whatever they call it, it needs to have, um, what it is we're trying to achieve, how we intend to go about it and the first steps of implementing that plan. And I think that's, that has been the essence of all the space plans in the past. And I think it's the sort of thing that we still need to do. Now. In 2008, the Conservative government directed the new Canadian Space Agency President Steve McLean with the task of leading an effort to come up with a new plan. Uh, he did that and delivered the plan to government, and the government promptly shelved it in 2009. Was that primarily because of the financial crisis, or were there other factors that played into that decision? Okay, I, I'm not... I wasn't privy, and I'm still not privy to whatever it was in, in Steve's plan. Um, so I don't know whether it was a good, bad, or indifferent plan. Um, I will, I will assume it was a good plan, uh, although it may not have been. Um, but assuming it's a good plan, I think again it is um, in, in in government. In my experience, it's essential to bring all the actors to the table, get them all to understand and get them all to support. So what happened, for example, on long-term space plan two, which everybody, which is the 94 space plan, everybody holds up as being the sort of uh, uh, poster child for space plans. That took a considerable amount of effort on the part of those of us creating that plan to work with the external community, the university community, the science uh, community, the, and, and the industry, and other and other at provincial government level, to understand what their needs were, to understand what their views were, and then to sort of package things and, and evaluate things and come forward with discussions inside government in a whole host of. Uh, government department. So uh, in creating that plan, I spent, again, about half my time uh, working internally in the government with other ministers and their staff and other government departments to, to make sure that when the plan was finally crafted, it was something that would be acceptable to uh, all of these departments. And so in my experience, that's how you get... Um, plans approved by the government is, is you get everybody on board. And I don't know whether that took place uh, around Steve's plan or not. And, and I don't know whether that took place around um, recent uh, attempts to get a space strategy approved. It just, um, I would hope it has happened and I hope that it continues to happen. But if, if, if the space community doesn't see itself as part of the overall government uh, set of activities and is doing things in line with the government's objectives at the time, then it's not going to get approved. And so that is, that's an important element of, of uh, 
moving forward on a space plan. So I, I, I don't know what happened with Steve's. I don't even know what was in his plan. So I really can't comment on what happened, but it, it didn't see the light of day and could well have been the economic crash of 2008. I don't know. So um, with respect to the space program space budget, um, you mentioned that the Canadian Space Agency buying power is half of what it was in, in 1999. Uh, I think uh, it was that same uh, Conservative government that took that base funding that the Canadian Space Agency was getting of $300 million and uh, brought it down to $260 million, which is where it's at today. Is that just too low for uh, the space program? Should it be... Uh, higher to for for Canada to to compete on the global stage. Oh, I think the answer to that is clearly yes. The the um, just look at what the space agency is able to do with what it has. It has it's carrying the the costs of Canada's continued participation in the international space station. So, um, as a partner in that program, we have. Um, various responsibilities, one of which is to ensure that there are spares and and uh, we do all of the engineering required to make sure that the our contribution, which we still own, uh, the Canada Arm 2 and Dexter and other elements of the mobile servicing system, they, they are Canadian and we have to maintain them and so there are certain expenses with that. Uh, we have to train astronauts on how to operate those arms. There are certain expenses associated with that. So the space agency is carrying that. So that's, that's one of the major tasks of the space agency. Um, the other thing is that the space agency has contributed, along with the Department of National Defense and the funding of the um, Radar Sat Constellation mission, which is going to be launched uh, shortly. So those are the major activities. It has some space technology development funding. It uh, contributes to Canada's participation in the European Space Agency, which brings contracts back to Canada. Um, it operates at the uh, David Florida Laboratory, which is the testing facility for for Canadian testing facility for putting you know, for verifying space qualification of elements that go into space. So it's a sort of a national infrastructure, and so those are the things it does. What it doesn't do, which were being done in all the other space plans um, in the past, it doesn't have any other missions. It doesn't have a Earth observation mission. It doesn't have a communication satellite mission. It doesn't have space science missions. And so the agency is unable, not because they don't want to, but the agency does not have the funds to put stuff into space and the space agency's main role in life is to put stuff into space and it just doesn't have the, the financial capacity to do that on a, on a, um, in, in any significant way. So uh, in my view, um, those are the sort of elements that need to be, and that's why I say, you know, and what do I hope to see in, in, in the strategy that comes out in the next year is is not necessarily um, funds right now because I'm not sure we could spend the funds, a large number of amount of funds and, and these things, but I would hope that we get the government strategy is that, yes, we're going to continue in space exploration and we're looking at uh, doing the robotics for the gateway. Yes, we believe that space science is an important driver of space technology and the development of people and we'll start, well, we, we will re, reinvigorate that program and yes, we see the need for for the government to play the role of what I call first customer on some space demonstration missions that uh, would allow industry to put stuff into space aimed at providing services or whatever to to meet Canadian needs and, and then the government department's responsible for those would be, would be able to evaluate whether this space technology was useful or not and if it was they would proceed to uh, buy, buy services on an ongoing basis. But without those elements of being able to generate the science and the people and the ability to have, uh, not large, but um, some space missions that actually put some stuff into space, then our industry in a, is, is, is uh, competing with both of its hands tied behind its back. 
Now, it sounds like you're a supporter of Canada participating in the NASA-led Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway Program. What do you think of the program itself? Is it, This is, seems to be NASA's big push right now uh, as a major next step for human exploration. Um, what are your thoughts on the program? Um, I think it's... Uh, um, uh, I stay away from, you know, I don't get involved myself, whether we should be going to the moon or Mars or whatever we should be doing first or second. That's a debate that's been rolling around. Right now, the United States has said, no, we're going to uh, go to the moon first. I think um, Canadians think that our contribution to the space station was exciting. Um, robotics is something that... that uh, youth of, of any nation uh, really get excited about. Astronauts are something they really get excited about. So um, in terms of public interest in what we do in space, and after all, the public pays for this, uh, I, I just I just believe that um, if, if we don't participate in this gateway, that uh, Canadians would be quite disappointed. Now, that's my view. The the, um, the government has to come to that to come to its own conclusion on that. But I would I, I would think that's a that's a that's an area where where ministers are, are quite well aware of the public interest in in the robotics and in astronauts. To me, the question is not so much are we going to be part of it, but what is what is it that we're going to do? And and some fair amount of work has has been done by the industry and the CSA and trying to identify that, but I think a lot more needs to be done. Uh, when Canada agreed to uh, be part of the International Space Station, it was done in a sort of phased way. Uh, the first announcement, I think, happened in 1985, where the government said, yeah, we, Canada, wishes to participate in the space station program. Um, in fact, we're committed to doing it, subject to, and the subject to included two things, uh, basically. One was doing some more studies, uh, technical studies and program studies on what it was we were actually going to contribute and how much it was going to cost. And two, uh, developing the the uh, framework for the agreement so that we understood uh, the terms and conditions of this partnership. So we understood that if we contribute the arm, these are the sort of benefits that we will receive from it. And so, and then once those were cleared away, then the government made a full commitment to when it understood what it was going to, being asked to do, when it understood what the costs were, and it understood the terms and conditions of the participation, then the, the money, then they, they made the, the full commitment. Um, so I think. And, and uh, with the gateway, that uh, those are issues that still need to be uh, identified, and it takes time and it takes some money to do that. And so um, I think if we follow the space station approach as to how we got involved in the space station, it would be something similar now where we commit to, to being part of it, but we sub- the actual contribution that we make would be subject to to these further studies and, and understanding the terms and conditions of of the partnership. And so I think any prudent, and I think that's what the Europeans and the Japanese are doing, and so I think that's that's a prudent approach to to uh, to to the gateway. And, and yes, I'm a supporter. I think that that's, and the reason I'm a supporter of it is because I believe that's something that Canadians really strongly support. And aside from the, the benefits of a program like that and, and these other programs that we've been talking about, um, I, just thinking of it from a pride perspective, um, I was five years old when the first astronauts walked on the moon. And uh, I can just imagine uh, the youth of today, how they would react if a Canadian astronaut as part of this lunar uh, gateway platform went to the next step, which would be to uh, put humans back on on the moon. If a Canadian astronaut was to to go down to the moon and and uh, participate in that, I think uh, <laughs> there'd be a lot of pride in that, and we actually might get everybody watching this, the same program at the same time. <laughs> yeah, no, and uh, so that you know that's why it's it's something I think we should do. Uh, 
Uh, I, the other side of that coin is I hope it's not the it's not the only thing we do. And because I do strongly believe that space technology um, is can contribute significantly to several big picture issues that the government faces, and that is uh, operations in the north, environmental protection, sovereignty, all the things I mentioned in the past, and, and space technology is going to be a major uh, facilitator of, of dealing with those issues. And so we need to ensure that for our own um, national identity, for our own sovereignty, for our own economic benefits, we need to make sure that we are doing, uh, we're pursuing the, the application of space technology to meet national needs. And so um, I'm hopeful that not only would the government agree to the gateway that it would agree to, to uh, the importance of, of these other elements of space activity, which which really are going to bring the major economic benefits of, of the technology to to the benefits of Canadians, both in the use of the technology and in, and in the generation of it. Um, have I missed anything in our discussion that you think is relevant today? Um, no, I think... Um, I'll mention one one thing, um, just to sort of encapsulate some of my views, and that is um, the governments uh, and, and including the space agency are very proud of what we've accomplished in space, and so you know they they talk about not only Canada Arm but the astronauts, but they also talk about. Um, in the science realm, which I'm going to focus on right now, the fact that you know there are instruments on Mars, Canadian instruments on Mars, uh, which uh, for the first time identified that snow falls on Mars. And so you know we laugh about the Canadian weather station on Mars finding snow. What else would Canadians find? Um, but it's it's they they're and, and when people are told that. Like, oh, really? Canada did that? I didn't know that. Um, this uh, mission to Bennu asteroid, uh, which is going to land on the and, and and bring back a sample from that asteroid, the the mapping of that asteroid to determine how 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 to do this is is an instrument provided by Canada. So there are many instru- many instances where Canadians are part of another of an international effort in the science world in particular where we're doing unique and important things that once Canadians learn about them they're quite quite proud of those as well and so the only point i make on that is those our participation in those programs isn't something that happened overnight it takes um, many many years of uh, collaboration at the scientific level the, between the universities and these other countries and Canadian Canadian universities um, to develop what Canada could participate and then getting the approval for the program, getting the funding and getting it underway. So th- these are dec- decade old things that took have taken a decade or so to, to do. And so if we, and I think Canadians would also support this, if they believe that Canada can play a significant role in understanding the universe um, that they would support that as well and that's what that's a lot of what space science activities are, are aimed at and but it takes time and so that's why I say reconstituting the space science program doesn't necessarily cost a lot of money initially it just needs to get it going get get the university communities in Canada talking to their partners around the world developing proposals and finding out what it is that Canada can do that takes time and and uh, we just need to start that okay so my last question uh, which has nothing to do with the topics of conversation today it's when I try to ask all my guests is uh, what books have you read recently that stand out and that uh, you would recommend to our listeners well, that's a good question. Um, my own particular in- interest has to do with history, and um, 
on areas of the world that I don't necessarily know that much about or wasn't taught during my educational era. And two stand out, and they were the fundamental parts of trips that uh, my wife and I took with friends. Uh, one is to Peru to see Machu Picchu and then get a better understanding of the Inca culture and the role that that uh, Europeans played in the destruction of that culture. And there's a, if anybody's interested in this, the book I found most interesting was a book called The Last Days of the Incas. And it was a, it, 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 it really describes um, in a big picture way and, 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 and in some great detail actually what actually happened as a result of Columbus and the rest of the Spaniards um, getting into getting into into Peru, and it was a real eye opener. And then being able to go and see what's left of that culture was was quite interesting. So that was that was a book that I found extremely interesting. And in a in a more recent, um, I got an interest in finding out what happened to the major cities of Europe during the Second World War and during the Cold War period. So I dug into um, what book, several books on what happened in Berlin, Dresden, and Warsaw. And the one that really stuck in my mind was a book called Warsaw 1944. And, uh, and it's, if you're interested in in at a personal level in terms of what happened to the people in Poland as a result not only of of uh, the German occupation during the Second World War but the Soviet occupation afterwards these are two that's a very very illustrated book so that's that's been my history is my interest is is uh, learning about history that I didn't learn when I was at school History is very important. Uh, I read a lot of history books myself, so thank you uh, for sharing those titles with us. I'll try and include a link uh, to them uh, in when I post the podcast next week. Um, I want to thank you, Mac, for being uh, my uh, special guest today. Um, maybe in the future we'll get you on another show. My pleasure to uh, you know basically talk about the history of space policy in Canada. So I'm. I'm very pleased to be able to do that anytime. Well, that's a wrap on this episode of the Space Cube Podcast. If you like this show, please support us on Patreon. The address is patreon.com slash We really appreciate feedback. And to help us, we ask you consider to write a review on Apple Podcast or Google Play Music if you're so inclined. If you have any comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca or you can post them on our website at spaceq.ca where you'll find an archive of each episode if you send me a comment by email i'll write back to you as soon as i can on twitter you can follow us at canada in space and if you use facebook you can find all our articles and links to the podcast on our page the space Q. if you like the show please subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app